doing that faithfully, and I, I trust that we will be a blessing uh, to you as well. Did you know that according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, released on February this year, <clears throat> two-thirds of Australians aged 15 years and over were exposed to a scam in 2021 to 2022. William Milne, the ABS head of crime and justice statistics, said, the results of the personal fraud survey showed that 65% of people received a scam offer or request in 2021-22, up from 55% in the previous year. People were most commonly exposed to a scam over the phone, 48%. By text message, 47%, doubling from 23% in the previous period compared to many other methods of scam. These scammers and their actions are deplorable, ruining the lives of so many but there is one who is the chief of scammers, the father of lies. His name is Satan. He's not after your money, not your income, no. He's uh, after far more precious than that. He's after not your living, but your life your eternal life in particular. If you believe his lies, if you believe his scams, you will lose all and end up in a place called hell, prepared for him and his angels, and his devils, I should say. Hell is a place prepared not for humans, but for the devil and indeed, his fallen angels, Matthew 25, verse 41. But anyone that will believe the devil's lies will go to this place for all eternity. Revelation 20. Beloved, look at me, please, when I say this. It will be an ultimate loss if you think that you are saved and been serving even Jesus, only to find out at the great white throne judgment that you are not genuinely redeemed. And then hear the sovereign say, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? 
And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore I say it again, as we learned just a few Sundays ago. Know your election of God. Know your election of God. And you can. Firstly, because the Bible says so. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 to 13. Uh, and this is the record uh, that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God, uh, um, the, not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And secondly, one can know their election of God as we will continue to consider the marks of what true conversion is and the power of the gospel that changes the lives of those who believe and received it. So far, we learned that the gospel and the power of it must be preached. Indeed, the power doesn't lie in the preacher, but in the Holy Ghost. The gospel came with much assurance, we learned that last time, and is manifested in the lives of those again. I say, those who would believe and receive it. The gospel, of course, is, not, is for all men, but it must be received individually. As much as the gospel comes with much assurance, it also comes with much affliction. And in and through that, it also comes with the joy of the Holy Ghost. Last Sunday, we were challenged with preaching and performing the gospel in our lives. And this morning, we will continue on the same thought and theme, the power of the gospel, as Paul continued to write to the Thessalonians what true conversion is. If you haven't done so, 1 Thessalonians, uh, we will read the entire chapter just to uh, get the, the full context. Uh, and if uh, you're able, would you please stand with me? Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, 
but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God's word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you once again for the privilege to preach your word. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you in this way. Once again, dear God, I pray that you would meet with us. Lord, that you would teach us your truth. Again, oh, Father, I pray for ancient power from on high to preach your holy word. Help me to preach it accurately and indeed compellingly that we would be motivated, admonished, and encouraged to be a different people from the time that we walked in from this place to the time that we would go out. May we, in these few minutes, put the Lord Jesus Christ in his rightful place preeminent in our lives. Thank you for this time. And again, I pray, Lord, if there be one, two or three that is in our midst that do not know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, may today be the day of their salvation. And then, of course, for us who have made that profession of faith, as our brother Abdu has already prayed for, may we not just be hearers, but doers of your word. So, Father, I commit this time, and may all that be said and done bring honor and glory to your name, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord. Here yet again, the good apostle repeats and emphasizes that the gospel, uh, repeat, um, uh, that the gospel, the word of the Lord, be proclaimed and be preached. It needed to be sounded out. The word "sounded out" here has the idea of sounding out of a trumpet or thunder to reverberate like an echo. Another said that it's a loud. Uh, an unmistakable proclamation. In essence, Paul saw the Thessalonians as amplifiers or relay stations that not only received the gospel message, but sent it further away. Spread abroad is the exact word that Paul used for when and where they receive it, including Macedonia and Achaia. As such, by the time Paul and his companions went there, uh, they need not to speak anything um, anymore because verse 8, the preaching, the proclaiming, the sounding out of the word was done. 
Oh God, help us to be like the Salonicans, beloved. That indeed that we would sound out the word of the Lord. Calvary Baptist Church, once again, as we approach our 50th year, uh, uh, more than ever, as we see the day indeed approaching, as we redeem the time because the days are evil, as we would learn to number our days, that we need to sound out the word of the Lord. Let us use every means possible to broadcast the gospel. Let us not be fearful, but rather be faithful in God's provisions through each and every one of us, uh, your talents, your abilities, uh, your positions, and your places of influence, and yes, your money and resources that we are to be good stewards of. Uh, let us be amplifiers. Let us amplify. Let us relay the sound and sound out the gospel by our words. That means our testimonies. By our works. That means as our preaching, our letterboxing, our door knocking, or by the use of technology available to us uh, through the internet, through the social media and the like, and many other more means to spread the gospel and indeed the word of the Lord. Again, preaching the gospel and the discipling of God's people are our last standing orders before the Lord Jesus Christ ascended back into heaven. And he is expecting us to do what he has commanded us to do as we await the trumpet sound. Amen. Beloved, that is our last standing orders from the Lord. To preach the gospel and to disciple the believers of the gospel. Beloved, now is not the time to be arguing and being divided over things. That in the context of eternity will not matter. Now is not the time to be divided. Now is the time to be united. Uh, uh, to be, uh, now is gospel preaching time. Now is living out the power of the gospel in our lives. Like the Salonicans, let us all sound out the word whenever and whatever opportunities God gives and allows us to have. Verse 9, here yet again is what true conversion is like. Uh, we read here in verse 9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The gospel, beloved, requires turning to God from idolatry. And I'm not just referring the idolatry like that of those idols who have eyes but cannot see. Those who have mouths but cannot speak. Those that have ears that cannot hear. I'm not just talking about that kind of idolatry. I'm talking about the idolatry of our day. However it comes to you and the affluence in the society uh, and the uh, complexity of the Melbourne society that we live in. That's what I'm talking about. Anything that we put before or in between us and the Lord is idolatry. That is what I'm referring to. Turning to God from idolatry is a description of genuine biblical repentance. 
This is repentance toward God, Acts 20, 21. It is to turn to the true God from the false God and the false gospel. The turning to and the turning from are both necessary aspects of biblical repentance. If I turn to God, my back is, uh, 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 my back is against uh, the false gods. This is Paul's doctrine of repentance. He says, we preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God. Acts 14 verse 15. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. Acts 26 verse 18. But showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Acts 26 20. I'm not talking of lordship salvation, but without biblical repentance, there is no salvation. Christ preached it. I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, verses 3 and 5. Paul preached it, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Acts 20, 21. God, God demands it, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Acts 17, verse 13. Spurgeon himself described it, and this is how he puts it. Conversion is the turning of a man completely round to hate what he loved and to love what he hated. This turning to God from idols is both an initial decision and an ongoing process, beloved. As God's word reveals further areas of our lives that are not conformed to Christ, we turn from those to God. Repentance. Listen. There is never a time that you and I are done repenting. There is never a time that you and I are done repenting. We are all under construction. We are all going through the process and the power of sanctification to be more conformed to the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we call ourselves evangelical Christians, and that's great. But do you realize that in our day and age, that term has become so watered down, so used and abused, so misrepresented, that it is almost like we don't want to use it anymore? I learned that in Eastern Europe, the Orthodox people disrespectfully and dismissibly refer to evangelicals as repenters. Oh, I like that. If I'm to be called an evangelical because I am a repenter, hey, I'll accept that. Indeed, 
We are beloved repenters. Now, if we truly believe in Christ, we are repenters. We turn to God from our idols, however shape it comes from personal to you. I say it again, the gospel is not the message about lifting your spirits up only. It's not how Jesus can help you succeed in life, be prosperous and happy in this life. No, the gospel is about how Jesus alone can rescue you from the wrath to come. The Bible says that our sins have separated us from the holy, righteous, just God, that we are under His judgment, our good works, our philanthropic efforts, and yes, even our own sense of morality and self-righteousness are but filthy rags, the Bible says. We it cannot pay for the penalty of the sins that we owe before a holy and righteous God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, but God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life until our very last breath. We should preach that verse, for in it is the sovereignty of God and the power of the gospel. John 3.16 Beloved, true conversion is turning to God from idols to serve the living God. The true God. That is our second point this morning. True conversion is serving the living God. And through God. Once again, this is the product and really the evidence of biblical repentance and saving faith. You see, the Thessalonians didn't just receive uh, the gospel uh, so that it becomes their ticket. So that it becomes their passport, if you like. Or so that it becomes their insurance to go to heaven. No! The gospel changed and transformed them. And it should change and transform us as well in these our time. The verb. Uh, uh, sorry, the Bible. It says Paul and his companions witnessed it from the Salonicans. Remember, they stopped. They did a 180. They no longer serve idols and no longer live for themselves. They serve the living and true God. The verb or the word serve here is from the word duleo, from where we know of the word doulos. It means to serve as a slave. To serve as a slave. A slave was not free to do whatever he pleased. He belonged to his master who had bought him. He exists to do his master's will. Beloved, sorry to break it to you, but you and I, we are not our own. We have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He doesn't treat us as slaves. In fact, he calls us as friends. Nevertheless, we really are servants to him as slaves. Uh, 
To serve God is to be a slave of God. To obey Him. To seek His will. We must understand that serving and living, uh, uh, serving the living and true God is not just giving Him a few hours of each week and the rest of it we spend for ourselves. Beloved, we don't have a so-called secular and then a spiritual life. We only have one life that is serving Him 24-7, 365 days a year where we yield ourselves fully to the Lord that whatever we do and say we do all for the glory of God whether you are a keeper of the home a plumber a builder a doctor a lawyer a dentist whatever you do for a living that is not your secular life only that is also your spiritual life as well to serve him is to do whatever he wants you to do because he is your master a slave lives to please his master and to do his will this means getting our eyes off ourselves and putting it on the lord jesus christ our savior Every true believer is a servant of God. Ephesians 2 verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Titus 2 verse 14, Who gave Himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. They serve the living and true God. Idols are dead. They are nothing, but there is a living God, and he is the one true God. He is known through the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you come to church, your focus should be, Lord, use me today to serve you by serving the church. It may be in a formal ministry like what I'm doing, or may be part of the worship service team. It may mean helping in a physical way, uh, such as picking up rubbish, cleaning the kitchen, doing the gardenings, cleaning the toilets, but also it should include serving in a spiritual way. How is that, Pastor? By ministering the love of Christ to others. You serve God by looking for new people and making them feel welcome. But you don't just serve Him on Sundays. You serve Him every day at home, at work, or at school because you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. True conversion is sounding out the word. It is serving the living and true God. And thirdly, true conversion is steadfastly waiting. Steadfastly waiting for the return of the Son of God from heaven. Now before we continue... Allow me to say this, as I did when we were in verse 4, when we were in the doctrine of election. Allow me to firstly state, again, the doctrinal position of this church in matters of eschatology, the doctrine of future events, in particular, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We here at Calvary Baptist Church since 1973 
and will continue to believe in the personal, physical, pre-tribulation, and pre-millennial return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We believe and will continue to uphold, preach, and teach in the literal pre-tribulation return in the air of the Lord Jesus, followed by the seven literal years of the tribulation period, and after that, the Lord will return with His saints to usher in His literal 1,000-year millennial reign on the earth. I need to get that out. And I need you to get it from me. That is what this church believes. And again I say, the church need not defend its position to you. It will not bend to anyone or to anything apart from the Lord Jesus who is the head of this church. I therefore, on the authority of God's word, the doctrinal statement of this church and the pastoral office I hold do not endorse or will not condone any teaching other and contrary to this. As I said previously, and once again I say it in love, anyone is entitled and has the liberty to stand on his own doctrine. But not anyone is entitled and has the liberty to sow discord amongst the brethren here. If you hold a different position as this church does, keep your persuasion or your position to yourself, and we just have to agree to disagree. Hopefully, we can focus more than to those things that unite us rather than divide us. That said, beloved, the return of Christ is a major theme of the Thessalonian epistles. Forty of the verses deal with this theme. As I said during the introduction to this series, the return of Christ is a major theme of the entire New Testament. From Matthew to Revelation, Bible prophecy is a fundamental of the faith once delivered to the saints. It is not a secondary matter. Somebody said that the second coming is mentioned an average of every 13 verses from Matthew to Revelation. Now I admit, I have not verified that information myself, but Bible prophecy must be a major theme of every genuine Bible-believing church of today. God's people must be well-grounded in prophetic truth so that they can have a proper worldview and understanding of the times and God's people must be protected from the heresies pertaining to Bible prophecy. And this is one of the reasons why I feel compelled 
and prayerfully am preaching uh, the, the series that we have entitled, or I have entitled, Ready for His Return. On top of this, on the 26th and the 27th of next month, Brother Peter Jackson of Herald of Hope Ministries will be back with us again to teach us from the Word of God, Bible Prophecy. Uh, Lord willing, he plans to come and teach Armageddon, the final world conflict, on the Saturday night. Next will be Towards a Global Society on Sunday morning, followed by Towards a Global Currency on Sunday afternoon. I pray that you will make it a priority to be in attendance he will also be doing our Sunday school on this particular Sunday. Carried on angels' wings is the topic. Oh, I'm looking forward to Brother Peter Jackson uh, coming over again. And so, beloved, as your pastor, it is my desire that indeed we will all be ready for the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I read of the former U.S. President Jimmy Carter to show, that when, uh, to show that he was in touch with the common American. Uh, on a few occasions during his presidency, he would spend a night in the home of an average American. Now imagine that. Uh, if you got a call from the White House or better yet, a call from Prime Minister Albanese's office. And uh, the call says that the PM would be coming to spend the night in your house. Uh, he would say, yeah, sure, let him come along. I'll give him a, a, a piece of my mind. <laughs> better not say that loudly. <laughs> but you know, jokes aside... Uh, you would make some changes around the house. You would clean uh, the, the, the bedroom that he, uh, that he will be uh, spending the night with. You would indeed change the bed sheets, vacuum the floor, uh, dust off the, the tables and remove the cobwebs. And the wife would probably prepare a special meal uh, and all these things. Uh, you would be ready for the PM's arrival. Now you see, beloved, the return of Christ is not emphasized in the New Testament so that we can fill up a prophecy chart or have a fallout of when the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. The, 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 the return of Christ, I believe, is emphasized in the New Testament so that we will be ready ourselves. So that we will be ready ourselves in anticipation of his imminent coming. Of his imminent coming. Notice verse 10 yet again. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And to wait... This is steadfast waiting. Waiting with anticipation is the idea here. They, the Salonicans, were waiting for his son. They've been waiting a long time. 
if they were waiting at that time and we are still waiting at our time, how much closer do you think is the return of Jesus Christ? Uh, Beloved, they, we, are awaiting not just for any other son. We are waiting for the true son of God. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty God, Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. Beloved, look with me again, the Salonicans and we, listen, are expecting to see Christ and not the Antichrist. That's a loaded statement. Okay. Uh, uh, the tribulation, the return of Christ for his church, for his bride, for the believer is imminent. It can happen at any time. Even as this time that I'm speaking before you. And God's people say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Romans 13 verses 11 to 13. And that knowing the time that now it is high to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe the night is far spent the day is at hand let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on uh, the armor of light let us walk honestly as in the day not in rioting and drunkenness not in chambering and wantonness that means sexual immorality and sensuality not in strife and envying that means in quarreling and jealousy oh beloved let's get our act together please let us not spend our last days here on earth with endless quarreling and envying. But rather Philippians 4.5, let, let our moderation, let our patience, our gentleness be known unto all men. Why? Because the Lord is at hand, the Bible says. Far too many times. Far too many times, Christians are known for infighting and quarreling. Quite frankly, I am tired of it. Dead tired of quarreling and arguing. I know it's the sign of the days. I know people will depart from sound doctrine. I know people will be lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. I know that. But can I confess to you, church? I'm tired. I'm dead tired of quarreling. I do not want us to spend precious times in arguing. But rather, Titus chapter 2 verse 13, looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. James chapter 5 verse 8 and 9, be also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth at the door. 
the judge standeth at the door. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Hence, I keep on saying his coming is imminent. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Let me ask you. Oh, let me ask you. How can we be ready for his return if all that we're doing is quarreling and quavering? Oh, God, help us to indeed practice Philippians 2.15. Instead of arguing and quarreling when what we should really be doing is sounding out the word, serving the true and the living God, and indeed steadfastly waiting for the Son from heaven. And then notice, and I'll close with this, the end of verse 10. They have been delivered from the wrath to come. Delivered from the wrath to come. Don't miss the context here. This is the wrath that will come upon the world in the day of the Lord. <clears throat> in the day of the Lord. Uh, it is described in Revelation from chapter 6 to chapter 19. Uh, what we now know as the tribulation period. Now, therefore, they, the Salonicans, we are delivered from the wrath to come. The word wrath is mentioned 13 times in this Revelation chapter. Beginning in chapter 6, verse 16 and 17, and all the way ending in Revelation 19, verse 15. The wrath of God will increase as the degree of the seven years progress, concluding with the terrible, vile judgments which are full of wrath of God. Revelation 15, 7. Now, just as an advanced information, we will get there soon enough. But here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and in verse 10. Uh, and 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 9 to 10. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. The context has reference to eschatology. The context has reference to the coming events. Uh, and it's not primarily speaking of personal salvation and the belief in Christ that leads to salvation. The promises there given pertaining to being kept from the hour, being kept from the devastating effects and activities of the day of the Lord and the great tribulation by means of the promised deliverance and salvation from the coming wrath. Now I know it's not making sense at the moment because we're not in the text yet. Now, of course, belief in Christ delivers us from the eternal wrath. That's true. But the subject in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and in verse 10 has to do with the fact that Christ will return from heaven to deliver us from the wrath that is coming. Exactly what the pre-tribulation rapture message revealed by the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when we get there. Which, by the way, instructs us and should be a message of comfort. Wherefore, comfort one 
another. How can you be comforted if you're going to go through the terrible times of the tribulation period? Hmm. When we get to this text, I will say and expound more on this passage. But for now, can I ask you in closing? Is your conversion true? Is your Christianity genuine? Are you really ready for his return? With all that we have learned from this first chapter last Sunday and just now, do you have the marks of true conversion? And have you really believed in the power of God unto salvation? Are you sounding out the word of the Lord? Are you serving the true and living God? Have you really believed and are steadfastly, steadfastly, steadfastly waiting from the coming of Son of God from heaven? Pastor Manny, would you pray for me? I haven't been sounding out the word of the Lord as I should. I haven't been serving as I should the true and the living God. I have been so focused onto the affairs of this world that I have failed to steadfastly wait of the coming of the Son of God. Is there anyone like that? And you want me to pray for you? Anyone at all? Would you raise your hands? Thank you. Anyone at all? Thank you. I saw that hand. Anyone at all? Pastor Manny? I need to sound out the word of God more. I need to serve the true and living God more. And I need to focus my gaze upon the Savior and not the, th the things of this world. Would you pray for me? Anyone at all? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Now perhaps you're here. And you don't know your election of God. You think you are safe. You probably are serving as you think. But do you really know? Do you have the marks of true conversion? Do you have the confidence that when you face up at the bima, that you are actually going to be accounting for what you have done in the body, whether good or bad, whether it is gold, silver, and precious stones, or are they wood, hay, and stubble, and God forbid that your judgment is not during the bema, but at the great white throne. And is your name written in the book of life? Do you know that you are saved? If you do not know, 
and you want me to pray for you and perhaps even explain to you what it means to be saved, how, it, how to be sure from the word of God, not by my opinion, how it is to be genuinely converted. Is there one in the room tonight? Would you raise your hand? Anyone at all? So many, pray for me. I am not sure. I do not know if I am really truly saved. Is there anyone? Anyone at all? Now I understand. I'm asking for you to be put out to admit. Beloved, I say to you, confess the Lord now and you will not be ashamed later. But if you're too bashful and embarrassed to admit that now in the witness of these people, would you seek me out? Would you seek Brother Chris out later? And if you're not sure of your salvation, like I said in the beginning, it will be way too late, way too late, if you would hear, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these dear folks who have uh, requested for prayer. Lord, they have the desire to sound out the word of the Lord more. They have that yearning desire to serve the one true and living God. And perhaps they have been so focused on the things of this earth that they have failed to steadfastly wait for the return of your son. Oh, Father, I confess many times, I myself get so focused on the things of this earth that I forget that we're just passing through, that this is not our ultimate destination. So, Father, forgive us for when we do that. Oh, dear God, I pray that as your people that we would indeed make that conscious effort to sound forth the word. We don't all have to be pastors and preachers. That may we all be somebody that would plant the seeds of the gospel at work, at school, at the shops, anywhere that we would be given opportunities for. And oh, I pray for them ones that perhaps are not sure of their own salvation. May they be fully persuaded as to who and what they believe. And Father, that they would come to your word to know that they have eternal life. So Father, I commit this little time of singing of the hymns to you. Work into the hearts of your people. And I pray, Father, that we would indeed surrender our lives to you. We ask it all. In the mighty name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you turn your hymnals, please, to hymn number 241. 241. Have you any room for Jesus? See, in the world that we live in at the moment, we're so conflicted with so, so many priorities. A priority for the set of priorities. Now, how is that explained to me? I don't 